Hello, everyone, and a very, very warm welcome to Red Risks Live, August the 31st. Gosh, approximately three years or two years ago, I think, when we started doing live events. So it's quite a pivotal moment for me. Um, I've got three very super nice guests today, and um, it's an unusual topic combat brain training and i was thinking to myself combat brain training hmm, what comes to my mind what can i put as a little montage or a little video that will give you some ideas of what i'm thinking about in my head so i'm just going to take a few seconds out to play a little video clip for you then i'm going to bring my guests on the show and we'll just crack on talking about combat brain training so here's a quick montage type video do you want to know what it is. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Which pill are you going to take today? The red pill or the blue pill? Well, with combat brain training, I can guarantee you we'll be taking that red pill as we dive deeper into that rabbit hole. Let me bring on to the show my special guest today, Jimmy Quinn, who's there in the background. John Kennedy. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, and how are you? <laughs> Jimmy, how are you? Thanks, Sonny. Um, we had Ed Thomas in the green room, but he seems to have lost connection. So hopefully he'll be back in a minute. Talk about red pills and, and blue pills right. and things. <laughs> so yeah. look, com combat brain training, it's going to be a fascinating subject today, I think. We're going to go into all sorts of areas down rabbit holes and all over the place. Let me start the ball rolling, John, if I may, with you. Well, let, let's first start with an introduction to all of you and a little bit about your background, if I may. Let's start with you, John. Give us a little bit of a back, background to yourself. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned the matrix. I love that scene because, you know, I try to describe to people what I do. They have no clue until they actually experience it, right? And it's like, wow. So my background is nothing to do with the brain, actually. I, I People would actually might even say I was brainless at the time. But no, I was actually a process consultant for really – senior level companies, right? So Aon, Motorola, international companies that work typically with a C level, making things more efficient using a very kind of a proprietary process improvement methodology. Now back in 2006, my younger brother, David, you know, one of my personal heroes, uh, was uh, came back from Iraq. Uh, he volunteered to go to Iraq, came back, he's in civil affairs. And he said, IEDs are killing us. He improvised explosive devices, right? That's what kills most of our guys. Can you help? And so I thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity to go from helping companies make more money to maybe saving lives. I had no idea if it would work. Got invited to an event the Marines held every year out in 20, uh, 29 Palms, California. And the whole purpose was to expose any contractor who was willing to go there to a long weekend and they would expose us to as much about IEDs as possible, right. right? So they scared the crap out of us. They blew stuff up. They showed us all these different trigger devices and it was 
I was at the very last day, I was shaking hands with the base commander, General Doug Stone, one of the smartest guys I ever met. I'm shaking hands with him and, oh, if it's God or what, I just got this, this vision. What if I could do for the brain what I do for business operations? We could make the brain faster and more focused. And if we could, we could improve intuition because that's what really struck me. When we're, these guys who are leading us around these events were all Marines who had survived improvised explosive devices attacks. And they'd say, I started going on this one street, this one village. Somebody told me something was wrong. I went a different way. The guy behind me kept going, right? So that was it. So Stone helped get me my first contract with the Marines. And the whole purpose was to develop non-digital, we'll talk about that more later, exercises that would physically change the brain right. to be faster. And, and, you know, another God thing, and there's research that just came out of MIT at that time that said the right kind of robust stimulation will start the brain to change immediately, which is what we needed to happen. Okay. So that first one with Marines and, you know, all the way through the military, um, and now I work with, you know, anybody. But that's how I got started, completely different change from what I was doing. Fantastic. So we'll get a little bit of your background there. Jimmy, a little bit about your background. I mean, we know you're the I I president of IOSH, etc. but maybe a little bit more about your background and set us some scene on that. Yeah, I mean, from, from, from my side, um, veteran, uh, 24 years, um, then left and uh, got into health and safety. Um, kind of used all my skills um, in the army that I was taught, and not on not unfamiliar to a lot of a lot of training that was around not the exact same lines as John's been talking about, but being able to think quickly on your feet and um, react to different hazards, and you know having really having quick thought processes, but nothing that I. That's why I'm really interested in this today, Sonny. And thank you for inviting me along. This combat train brain training and really really thinking about. It. I can't wait to start researching it, yeah. and um, yeah, I left the army. I used all the skills in the army that I learned in order of man management. Um, it's, it was an easy job to do. Civilian streets, not dissimilar if you use mm. the hierarchy um, and the organisational way that we, we do things in the army. So I approached all my health and safety from that. I'm, I'm not a particular fan of the words health and safety. I think I mentioned that before. More about resilience, honesty, loyalty, truthfulness. You know, that, they're the things that, that I believe and I'm as far away from the archetypal health and safety policeman as you would ever meet. So basically used all my skills in the army to to see where I am now. Yeah. Very interested in um, different types of therapies, cognitive behavioral therapy, psycho, uh, psycho oh, what's it called again? Psychodynamic. Yeah, yeah psychodynamics. Um, I've undergone some of them myself, wondering where that fits within this combat brain training. Mm. Does it fit? Can it fit? Um, so yeah, really interesting today. Well, you, 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 it's a pleasure. You are where I am with a thousand and one questions and not enough time, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, unfortunately, we've lost Ed. Ed, if you are listening to this, stop hiding and come out of the woodwork. You know, you're not under some covert operation. <laughs> so, um, look, we've got some great uh, people tuning in. Nice to see some folks here. Mark, nice to see you. Jeanette, Scott Geller's on uh, watching as well. Scott, lovely to see you. I know you're very, very busy. So, we're really happy to see you chime into this and Tim lovely to see you as well so get your questions ready because this is a great opportunity to really go deep into this rabbit hole now combat brain training when I put the sort of text out on this I started off with a sentence digital brain training does not work <laughs> right now I pinched that from your site what what do you mean by that 
So, so here's the thing. So the reason that the program it, it works so well so fast is because it provides that robust stimulation neuroscientists say we need. We have to engage the parts of the brain that interface with the real world to make those connections as well. So I've been following this for a long time. The original um, dual NBAC test with Bushkel and Jagi, and I actually reached out to them at the time um, because I'm trying. I was trying to learn more about this. They developed that first digital the problem, and, and and so the problem with it is not that they're not really smart people, not that the research doesn't work. Right? It's all based on the same research. The problem is the interface. So you'll always get better at the games, right? That's you might. The, you might. Sorry, John, just to jump yeah. in because I want to sort of keep the flow. You might oh, sure. jump back a little bit and sort of give some context as to what we mean by digital brain training, lumosity yeah. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's a series of games that stimulate parts of the brain, right? And there's lumosity, there's cognitive, there's a lot of them out there. And I, I certainly understand what they're trying to do because if you can put that on a digital interface, you can just reach lots of people. Hmm. But there have been several, several, um, many um, neuroscience examining the results and they find minimal real world effects. They call those far effects. So you always get better at the game and it's a great thing to do, but you're not making those connections to the real world. So that's what's not improving. So my program is all analog, right? So eyes, ears, hands, mouth, feet, anything that you use to interface real world, we're stimulating those connections at the same time. And just there's an explosion of connections through the brain from this type of stimulation, which is why people can notice the improvement so quickly um, with whatever they're doing in the real world. Jimmy, how does that sit with you? I mean, being being uh, the roles that you had and so on and so forth, how does that sound to you with this digital and analog perspective? You know, just thinking about it, I'm absolutely, at, at this moment in time, listening to John, I'm actually Googling as he's talking uh, <laughs> to get more of an understanding um, of, of, of the digital and analog parts. So um, yeah. for me at the moment, uh, I'm, I'm, my brain is all over the place uh, really at the moment uh, in a suppose way. But a couple of things I've just written down um, on this, John. Um, I, I just realised that this performance part took me to, to um, sportsmen. Sports yeah. women, sports people, um, and and then it struck me that this is sort of a. Could this be? Please excuse me for my ignorance. I'm not trying to upset you. This is a sort of management, a management leadership sort of tool as well. Or yes, in fact, that plaque behind me was some. Uh, the Marines had me speak at many of their leadership events. So, so the, the probably the critical thing to remember is we're actually working the brain. So. There's so many great programs out there. There are uh, physical training programs. We call that um, um, procedural neuroplasticity, right? So neuroplasticity is the, our brain's ability to change from stimulation. Um, neuroscientists call the transfer of a conscious process to the unconscious a zombie system. So kind of a strange name. Maybe they watch horror movies in our kids, but a zombie system, right? So it's like when you're playing sports, you throw that ball 100 times, thousand times you get more accurate, right? It's your muscles, but it's really your brain that's controlling that. And it's making the throwing motion, the zombie system, excellent program, especially for, for specific things like the military, for athletes. The mental side, we typically deal with the mind, right? Very, very good mental toughness, psychology programs. 
and they're dealing with a mind which is kind of like the operating system of our computer, right? It kind of controls how everything goes. And then what I target is just the brain, right? So, you know, again, if you get a faster processor in your computer, your operating system and every single one of your applications works better just because you're processing faster with more, more focus. So that's a kind of differentiator. Nothing wrong with any other program out there. It just really complements it by making it work a little bit faster. It's interesting because before we went on air, you mentioned that at that time, and I said I've got hundreds of questions in that area. Um, when you when you compare the brain as a processor, um, and you've got different types of processors, the old hard disk drive and the solid state drive. Okay, so right. let, let's think of it in that context, and you, you know the junk in the trunk. As we as we as we continue through life. We accumulate, we accumulate more junk yes. in the trunk, don't we? That's right. That's right. So how, yeah. how and combat brain training? If if I saw CBT or combat brain training, I I wouldn't immediately associate that with defragging the brain. You know, getting rid of the junk. Yeah. How how are you translating the combat bit and the brain training bit yeah. into the defragging process? And that's a great marketing issue, right? You're absolutely right. But the reason it was combat brain training was originally because it was four guys in combat, right? I mean, I mean you've been there. To be right, any, any environment in the world, the toughest is going to be combat because it's so much stress. You know, if you, if you get complacent for a second, something bad's going to happen. Decisions are life or death. You have guys you're responsible for. There's a situational awareness. All those things have to be an optimum to survive in combat. And so because those were the guys that I was helping with the program, it just seemed natural. And it, it applies. I mean, athletes get it. Business executives get it, right? They can make that shift to, hey, I'm in, I'm in combat. I mean, an athlete, except for no, one, no one's shooting at them, fortunately, right? I don't know how, how, how rough your games get over there. But you know, <laughs> other than that, you know, it's the same kind of decisions they have to make. So it's like mm -hmm. being in that combat situation. And then as we started working with people with recovery – because I was working with vets coming back with PTSD and TBI and so forth, it helps what we would call post-combat as well. Right. We, we have, as you know, we have live chat, so we have some questions coming in as well. Sure. Let me grab a couple of these. Uh, Tim Ingram says, to what extent can we optimize a brain capacity to automate combat stroke emergency responses and in fact, Tim's come back with another point, which I think is a bit of tongue-in-cheek stuff, you know, English humor. He says, John, can you teach the English football soccer team to take penalties, okay? So let's go back to this one about brain capacity to automate combat emergency responses. Can we optimize the brain capacity? Well, and that's really what we're doing. So, so one way to look at it is executive function, which is a broad term for our ability to make decisions. Everything we do, whether you're kicking a football or you're – you know, talking to your kids, right? There's decisions that are being made. And so we've broken that process down into a very simple process most people can understand, which is break it down, think it through, and execute. So no matter what we're doing, there's data coming into our brain. And so if we can train the brain to filter out what's not relevant, focus on what, what is, break it down into different components that have to come together, think through what you want to do, and then execute. The problem is most of us get to the execution before we go through the first part, right? When that becomes unconscious, that's when that performance improves. Can you give us an example? I mean, uh, Joe, Joe, Joe blogs in public, okay? Um, overwhelmed every day, has to drive into work, sit in the traffic for hours or whatever, and drives back home, a horrible day at work, 
it's all this, uh, as Tony said, I call it junk in the trunk. Okay, it's all yeah, this junk exactly. in the trunk going on. Right. There's right. a whole load of things going. We got we got things going with emotional intelligence, you know, cognitive intelligence, emotion, whatever you want to call it. Where where's the sanity break for this? How does someone actually press a button and say, you know, help? <laughs> well, that's why people call me, right? They want help in that area because that's exactly what happens. We get too much stuff going on, especially if we don't focus. Now, I'll go back to that football uh, question because I love working with athletes. I, I Not for a, uh, for a soccer team, but for a, for a Canadian football team that I worked with that was struggling. And I started working with a quarterback because, you know, if you think about a quarterback or, you know, uh, lineman or infielder, they have all these decisions they have to make, and they're in charge. We talk about leadership, right? They're the leader of the team. And so he was struggling. So working with him, you know, by the end of that season, um, he had uh, the, one of the highest completion records of anybody, 10 points higher than Tom Brady, right? Phenomenal player, did these exercises. But as far as a team, halfway through the season, he said, John, I'm doing great stats, but we're also leading the league in sacks allowed. So – if you're not familiar with American football, that means that the quarterback's getting hammered by the defense every every game, right? So I said, okay, Travis, I'll protect my quarterback. So I donated an hour of my training to the offensive line and no sacks for the next three games. So then they had me come up and work with a whole team, which when you do this type of analog brain training as a team, a lot of wonderful things happen. You mentioned emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence improves because – as you start to make mistakes, you're more forgiving about other people who make mistakes. You start to synchronize. So you're all thinking the same way at the same time, and stress goes down, focus goes up. So it's kind of it's like the matrix, right? You're not going to understand what I'm saying to the experience here. Right? Those are the kind of things that can happen when you make your brain work harder. That guy who's in traffic, he's, you know, he's got to come home. He's worried about stress. Maybe he's depressed, these things. When your brain is clearer, more focused, that stress goes way down. Instead of processing and being overwhelmed up here, now you're down here, right? You're processing unconsciously, and your mind is clear and focused. And, you know, for athletes, again, one of our neuroscientists says we're actually creating flow state. So your yeah. listeners aren't familiar with flow state. It's what we would call being in the zone. Yeah. Because we're optimizing system one, uh, fast and unconscious, with system two, slow and conscious thinking. When they become optimized, it's like you're just skating across the top and everything's happening without stress. Mm, so that's, yeah. But the main thing I want you people to know is your brain is incredibly changeable. If you, we, we, we can get into it if you want to today, but we have some very powerful ways to, even to change habits based on neuroplasticity. So if they understand mm -hmm. that they have the power to improve the things they do, you know, with focus, repetition, it can be very empowering. So, so go ahead. Ahead. Yeah, so I was going to ask Jimmy a question, but go ahead, Jimmy. Um, so if I want to make a nice sponge cake, John, I need some key ingredients, eggs, flour, butter, probably make a nice filling, some nice jam, cream. What five ingredients have you taken to make combat brain training, if there were ingredients? What five things do you say you've talked a lot about there about leadership and all the emotional intelligence and all that thing what what sort of five ingredients if, I was there, if you're making a cake of those five ingredients it's a good question the, the right. ingredients would be probably what we're trying to train so one that we you know good leaders one of the things missing good leaders is they don't get overstressed right when they get overwhelmed and they make bad decisions they get angry you know so 
So the, the co components of executive function we target are one, anticipation. Number one, absolutely. If you can anticipate what's gonna happen before it gets there, you have a huge lead. That's what we originally, our original purpose was, right? To create that intuition for the Marines. Taking the right, taking the right direction and not going down the wrong alley. Well, yes, and, 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 and anticipating, right? So when something happens, your brain's primed for it. Um, another one very, very important is pattern recognition, right? You'll, you'll recognize this. Give me patterns, right? You got to recognize your patterns on the sports field, in combat, wherever you're doing in business. If you can pick up your patterns and anyone else's patterns or the patterns of a car or whatever, when you can adjust, uh, uh, recognize a pattern faster, it gives you a huge advantage. And it also is very important to remember. Uh, we have guys doing some of our variables, you know, Typically, they say you can hold six or seven things in your brain at the same time in your mind, in your memory. We've got guys doing 12, 13, 14 things because what they're doing is they're memorizing the patterns and then executing on the patterns. So that's another powerful thing. Um, working memory, holding something in short-term memory, being able to execute on it is huge. Direction orientation was kind of what you're talking about, Jimmy, is your ability to orient yourself to something, whether that's a physical object or it's values, family values, religious values, and then intrinsically knowing if you're moving away from it or, to, or, or towards it without thinking about it, that's huge, right? They give you a huge advantage over that. It can help you know where a conversation's going. It can help you know where your your men are going, right? Because you have that that part of it. And then um, finally, there's a there's a one we stress, it's called motor integration, and that's actually taking something from your brain and making it happen motor-wise. One of the parts of that is something called abstract sequencing. Now, you mentioned this earlier, saying the guy's got so much stuff on his brain, right? So many things going around. So the ability to pull out of that data one uh, consistent, efficient stream of information, either taking it in or giving it out as an order, right? So the Marines have something called five paragraph orders and the instructors were amazed how much better they got, right? So if you can think ahead what you're gonna say, sequence it to something very efficiently to communicate, it makes a huge difference. So those are the kind of components that we work awesome. on with the exercise. Fabulous, Fabulous John. Fabulous. But, but the things you've described there, to me, in my mind, is like filters, right? You're, you're equipping the brain with some sort of a filtering process. Um, now, I, I don't want to say it's an ageist thing, but isn't the filtering process something that's a learning sort of a thing in the sense that the older you get you get better at filtering the noise the signal from the noise yeah so, well sometimes as you get all you have more noise right you ask a yeah. 20 year old a question it's yes or no you ask <laughs> us it's well it depends yeah <laughs> so much more data to filter through to get to that answer right so if we can make the filtering is a good way to call it but if you can filter out what's irrelevant faster and focus on what's important faster than we can make a much better decision because we're able to process more data in the same yeah. time. Well, we've got some more questions coming in. In fact, I see Darren Sutton has asked one about Jeff Sutherland stuff, but I'm going to come on to that in a minute. Let's grab a few of these that have come in. Uh, we've got a very live uh, audience out there, which is great. So Vince, hey, Vince, great to see you. I still have to organize my lunch with you in September. But Vince, hey, CBT, how does that apply to working people who commonly risk their lives usually to benefit the people who own and control them? An interesting question, John. So they risk their lives. So, so I guess 
the cool thing about it is it doesn't change intent. It doesn't change any of those great things. If you're risking your life for people, that's a, that's a very admirable thing to do. Um, what we want to do, though, is make sure that you do that as efficiently as possible, right? So you don't make mistakes. I mean, this is a great program for any type of, we talk about safety, safety organizations, right? So if you're in a dangerous situation and you can anticipate something dangerous and you can react to it and communicate it better, then you can improve your ability to survive. I'm not quite sure exactly what situation this gentleman is talking about, but it gives you that confidence and the ability to know that you're going to come out on the other side better. Mm. So the ability to adapt, to react a lot better, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You know, we tend to think of right, neural passage is all about repeating things, right? We repeat the same thing over and over again. That's, you know, that's the problem. I mean, probably in the, in the UK as well, you know, one of the sayings that Marines have, have was complacency kills, right? You get the same old routine over and over and over and you don't think about it. Mm. And then that's when something bad happens. Mm -hmm. Just grabbing a few more, Jimmy. Do chime in if I've uh, missed anything. Yeah, I was just um, it was just um, looking at the um, the stuff that when you know when you go on operational tours from our side, and, and Darren has just put a comment there. But you know, in, in terms of going on operational tours, that I'm just wondering how that work that we did back in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. Um, before your this combat brain training came in and sort of consolidated a lot of things that we used to do. And I'm trying to think back to the things that we used to do that didn't consolidate a whole lot, but we did little bits of it. And I can see what you're saying as well, John, because sometimes you'd walk around a corner and you'd say, well, this is not right. Now, what, is that a gut feeling? Or is that my brain telling yeah. me about the stuff that I'd already been doing through the training? Mm -hmm. Listen. So where do we, sometimes you call it a gut feeling? Probably wasn't the gut feeling. It's the brain telling you rather than the gut. Right, right. And, and and you'll notice that's why you know. Well, you know, you know, when guys are first deployed, the guys who have casualties first are the younger guys, right? They haven't built up that experience. You go around enough of those corners, right, and you're going to start to anticipate that something might not be off, and you're ready for it. So if we can get that same type of you know mental performance to your younger guys, mm -hmm. it's going to help them get to where you are faster. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, hey, no, yeah, I mean, uh, Jimmy mentioned Darren's question there. Let me put it up. So Darren's talking about Sutherland's work, you know, the uh, UDA, which is observe, orientate, yeah. decide and act, I think it is, isn't it? Um, yeah. Which led on to the work to do with Scrum and agility and everything else on. Darren's saying this is nothing new here. We're just talking about UDA looping in an overcomplicated way. Is that right? <laughs> well, it's an issue that's a loop, right? So that was developed by John Boyd Air Force. Of all the forces in the U.S., the ones that really embraced it were the Marine Corps. Uh, one of the early lieutenant colonels, head of the schoolhouse, who was the one who had me work with the snipers and all those guys, he was a big John Boyd fan. And that observe, orient, decide, and act, he felt that this type of training actually could get help you. So the whole purpose of get inside the opponent's OODA loop, right? So if he's out here, you're in here, you have an advantage. But it also helped those people who got overwhelmed not to go into what they call Boyd's black box, which is where you get overwhelmed. In fact, the Marines had a, have a way of uh, measuring alertness, which, which might be helpful. Basically, it's, it was based on a John Cooper, who was a uh, marksman instructor. There's five levels, right? So we like to do fives. The bottom is a white. So state of alertness where you're not alert at all. Okay, that's the guy who's walking down the street, uh, looking at his phone, 
bangs into a pole, falls in the animal, right? There's nothing. He's completely out of it. Not good. Yellow is relaxed alertness. That's where you're walking down the sidewalk, and you're very aware of what's going on around, but you're fine. Nothing to worry about. You get up to uh, orange, that's heightened alertness, right? And now maybe there's a car in front of you that's, wait, that's weaving a little bit. So now you're a little heightened. And then red is full on, get out of here, right? Because the car is coming at you, right? So that's the fight or flight. But then the fifth is the freeze level, right? Where you get so overwhelmed during the fight. So white and black are not good at all. The problem in a lot of times, especially stressful situations in combat, is they're so hyper alert, they're in red all the time, they get ex mentally exhausted. Mm. So the goal was to get in that yellow state, right? So you're ready to go up to red when you need to and back down and it's relaxed. And that's where they would tie that into the OODA loop as well, right? So your brain is constantly going through that loop without worrying about it with the ability to accelerate that when you need to. Uh I've got a question, though, but before we dive into that, Ed, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's your turn to buy the beer as well. Anyway, Ed, so, right. <laughs> so Ed, just take a minute out. Just tell us a little bit about your background so we can all get on the on the uh, intro side. Yeah, definitely, Sonny. Um, I'm Ed Thomas, and I'm a security specialist. I spent 20 years in the United States Army. Uh, 19 of those 20 years were within Army Special Operations. Uh, over 10 and a half years were spent at an Army Special Mission Unit. Uh, since retiring in 2014, I've worked in the commercial and defense sectors. And uh, I also have a company called Task Force U, where I train people on physical and mental fitness, uh, also coach high-performing uh, individuals, as well as speak on leadership. So kind of everything I've done in my past, everything I do now, and everything I'm going to do in the future really relies heavily upon, uh, you know, mental fitness and what John's talking about and a lot of his techniques I've applied in my personal life as well as uh, my professional life. Wonderful, Ed. Thank you. It's time to take a little bit of a Zen moment, okay, before I fry <laughs> my brain. Um, so combat brain training is a very fascinating subject. We've been all over the place in terms of questions, and I guess we will continue with having questions from all over the place. But in, in essence, what we're saying is that when we think about training the brain, digital brain training is not as effective. It only focuses on, well, let's talk about that a little bit now, about the hemispheres of the brain and, and over, over burning the, the, the neurons, et cetera, and so on. Tell us a little bit, if you can, John, about how combat brain training differs from digital brain training and how people can maybe use that as to take one of Vince's questions in the context of work, risk-taking is outrageous. How can we take that into our world of risk management? What can we do? Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. So, so the, re the problem with that interface, it's shallow, right? It's like, it's like, you know, there's something called digital dementia, which, you know, kids, if you got kids and they're under six or seven, do not stick them in front of a screen all day long, right? Because it's so shallow, it doesn't build up the connections that we rely on later in our life. So that came out of South Korea research. Kids that started on a you know digital device very young, by their 20s already had the brain of an 80-year-old, right? So get wow. your kids playing with blocks, with any with anything, not Minecraft, real blocks, right? So you're touching them, you're handling them, throwing them at your brother, right? You're balancing them, you're learning so many things intrinsically because you're also engaging your hands. Right, those are the connections, and so from our our viewpoint, um, the, our typical 
uh, maturity of mental processing we develop as children. Our brains explode with connections. If you can imagine learning how to walk, learning how to talk, learning all these different things, we learn from modeling from our adult, from adults and interaction with our environment. From the rest of our life, that pretty much forms how we do things unless we intervene, which is what we do, right? So, so that's why we develop our habits. We develop our personalities because we've been doing the same thing for the, the, all this time. So the biggest encouragement for everybody is do things differently, right? I have a, when I speak to athletes, it's go do hard things. If something's easy for you, that's your comfort zone. Is that really how you want to be doing it? Or you want to do it, you know, drive? I mean, something as simple as use your opposite hand or, you know, drive a different way home or think a good one for people because part of the problem with digital interfaces, everything's immediate, right? You want to know where the restaurant is, Google Maps, right? How about looking at a real map, planning out your steps you're going to take, remembering those steps and evaluating as you get there even though it takes longer and it's harder, it's working your brain much, much harder. And our brains are like our bodies. You know, you can, you can uh, it's like we talk about sports, right? You can sit and you play uh, online football, John Madden football all day long. It's not going to get you out there on the gridiron ready to play, right? You got to get your body involved. So that's one thing definitely everybody should take away from this. But how, how, do, you, how do you change people who are so used to the digital world. I mean, there's a point when development, you start off touring map of Scotland. Jimmy's, no, Jimmy's getting his map. There you go. That's right. That's right. We have, we have, said, we have said we're not going to use any type of electronic uh, device as we travel around Scotland. All right. All right. Yeah, <laughs> Embraced. Sorry, sorry. I'm embarrassed now because I use my sat nav. Well, um, use it. It's all. It's not bad to use it. It's just you got to reinforce those areas in other ways. But I, I will be honest. I have found over the last two years, I've found a real sort of a problem in the sense that when I'm doing these sort of live events or whenever I'm doing these things, I've been doing more and more and more digital things. Okay. Now, my wife takes cold showers. She does this Wim Hof stuff, and I guess you all know yeah, that. Cold showers. Her, yeah. That's a stimulus, right? So it stimulates parts of the brain and the body. The neurons are all firing in different directions. On. I can't take cold showers, but what I do do <laughs> is I stick my head under the coldest water I can find. Okay. <laughs> there is this theory, and you might correct me if I'm wrong, there is this theory that the brain leaks out crap okay leaks out stuff and it stays in there but when you actually do these stimulus things there's processes that go on that get rid of it so you re-energize every time is there any truth in that john well i would think so i mean the cold shower increases blood flow is really really important for our brains it's one of the things that the exercises do is that increases blood flow now especially as we get older one of the some latest research one of the reasons we lose our memories we get older is that the neurons you know storing that memory, they start to die because the capillaries start to shrivel, right? We're not enough blood flow in our brain. So anything you're doing, you put your head under cold water, these exercises, whatever it is, when you can increase the blood flow to the brain, we can actually rebuild those capillaries and rebuild those connections. And one of my uh, neuroscientists at the Harvard Martino Center actually thinks that we can actually create neurogenesis, right? Where the brain actually will create more neurons if we stimulate it with 
that exercise, you know, intense exercise also can improve neurogenesis. So, so yeah, any way you work the brain really, really hard, but that's not looking at a screen. That's not hard. Wow. So that's the difference. You have a shower before you go to bed at night, Sonny, and then you have a cold shower and then when you get up in the morning, mate. Oh. That's the way I'll I'll just stick to one, Jimmy. One, one. I don't mean I don't have more than one shower. I just stick no, to no. one. <laughs> I find it. I find it very. I find it great in the morning. Just to Do have you? a really cool shower. Yeah, because I'm getting up at sort of five in the morning. Yeah, it sort of awakens me. But can I just say, Sonny, there's a great comment in there from Tony Hill um, about building awareness and theatre intuition. I love that's a great. I don't know where he got that oh, from. Yeah. I've got it from somewhere. What a great, what a great point, Tony. Theatre intuition. Do you know? I'm yeah. I'm really sorry, folks. I've been so carried away with this conversation. My brain's been so engaged. I've actually neglected some of these chats going on here. So while I'm dipping into the chats and picking some out, Ed, have you got any thoughts going on at the moment? No, I, I, and I don't know whether John has said it already, right? But one of the uh, one of the statements he had told us a number of years ago was, right? Uh, you know. We're living in a digital world, but our brains still learn analog. John, did you did you use that already? Yeah, a little bit. Yes, yes. How we win all those connections. That's right. Try to yeah. teach me a little bit, Ed, and I just um, it went over my head a little bit, so I'm going to be <laughs> reading up on it later. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I like analog. Analog's good, and I think that's uh, one of the main things that's so important for us is to be able to just to disconnect from electronics, from social media, from all of this stuff, television, uh, even just periodically. Just, just to be able to do that. And if you look at, you know, uh, not being a conspiracy theory person, right, but uh, the addiction, how a lot of these uh, social media um, applications were created to addict you. So, again, you're on there longer, you're on there more. I mean, it's just, it's just not good for the brain, right? Addiction is not good. So um, just stepping away from that, even, you know, reading a regular book as opposed to reading on your Kindle, you know, just grab a, grab a regular book that you're touching with all of, and you're using your senses, right? Um, as opposed to just looking at that that screen, mm -hmm. and I think it has uh, applications across your whole life. Mm. I mean, Mr. Thomas is always impressive. I mean, I'm in nowhere near his league of fitness prowess, but some of the <laughs> things he does are just uh, out of this world crazy stuff. You know, I mean, still trying to do a marathon under three hours and all this stuff. You know, um, but how does resilience, which is what Ed is you know sort of alluding to in his in his sort of things that he does how does resilience come into combat brain training well it's interesting actually before i even trained um ed down at uh, jay Sotsi, i presented to the special operations command around on the resiliency council and the point we're trying to make is you know resilience it's it's not preventing but it's bouncing back right your ability to come back and so if your brain is more agile I mean, you, there's still all the other things you do, but if your brain is more agile, it can actually, you know, retrain itself faster, right? You can come back from trauma faster. I work, as I mentioned, I work a lot of people with different types of trauma, even depression and anxiety, which I, I talked earlier, right? Nowadays with the COVID stuff that's rampant, um, when we retrain the brain to be back in, or even better performing than it was before, we can improve that resiliency piece and i know ed's got a lot of great stuff on resiliency but from the combat brain training piece that's that's yeah. how we can help yeah we've got a a really long question coming from mark montague and as mark has taken such a lot of effort typing this <laughs> i'm going to actually put it up and talk it through as well so mark says how do you approach this with those with learning difficulties i have color dyslexia 
so I cannot focus on printed text in books and when I write on paper. So I've never learned to properly read and write until I was perhaps in my early 30s when I could do my learning on laptops and computers with fluorescent screens. Great point. How could those with learning abilities address this and can leaders also recognize individual needs? That's a great question. It's a great question. And leaders should be aware, right? You should be aware and, and do what you can. So again, I can only approach it from my perspective. And so, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to help people with dyslexia, with depression, with learning disabilities. Young woman I'm working with now with severe amnesia, making incredible progress after just a few weeks. Um, and uh, maybe because you mentioned parts of the brain, Sonny. And so I don't really focus on parts of the brain or even what's wrong. The purpose is to train the brain to do what it needs to do, right? And so, so it doesn't really matter where the damage is. The brain will rewire around it. It doesn't matter what's holding you back. When you train the brain using this type of stimulation to do what it needs to do, which is basically focus on emotions, which includes reading and everything else, dyslexia, the brain will rewire to, um, to accomplish that. And so that's why it's so powerful for all these different uh, disabilities. Or, or struggles that people have. I'm mesmerized by these discussions because 42 minutes have whizzed past, right? <laughs> uh, and, and it's just, to me, it's just astounding that time has just flown past, okay? Jimmy, how, how, how do you feel about all this? I mean, when you think about Civvy Street now and where you were, what you were doing, and you as well, well Ed. Yeah, how, how to... yeah I'm, wonderf I'm wonderfully engaged. And, you know, I'm, I'm now thinking here, um, and I'm just sort of, you know, spitballing here, John, you know, we do a lot of things, and it's probably the same in the the US. You're probably more aware of this, Ed, when you're when you're resettling and going from that institutionalised family um, to to going out into the wide world yourself. And I felt like a bit of a child. I mean, I'm just thinking to myself: Is this something that combat brain training could be doing to help soldiers and service people resettle when they're leaving the the armed forces? And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I did a counselling techniques skills course. Uh, for five days it gave me a little bit of something but i'm thinking about how this could set me up is that is that too far off it john no that's absolutely true in fact you know so we first did this with the marines i didn't know what was going to happen i had no idea but it was so effective you know we, my first pilot was the worst platoon of the time they became the best within three months they we went to the you know to, to socom we went to snipers all these people but the marines then when they came back and the intel officer for the first battalion i worked with um, love the program. I mean, intel officers, they're up, they get two hours of sleep a night if they're lucky, right? So this really helped him in combat. He had a young family. We became very close to the family because while he was gone, my wife became best friends with his wife, with his kids. And so when he came back, he started doing the exercises with his kids. And it was the first time we really observed that. We found it was a great bonding experience, right? Because because it opens up, you know, they're doing something together. Dad's leading the family in these. And so then when I would work with units after that, I'd always donate a family night, right, where the wives, kids could come, work with the guys and their families. And it is a great way because it's kind of like an objective thing, right? Hey, let's play some brain games. They don't, And they all get better. But it is a bonding experience when you do it together. So it can be very powerful as, as so, part of it. So, yeah, because I was thinking that, you know, when I left the army, I struggled. But I went to a really sort of dark place for a few months. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. it was lucky that I had IOSH, uh, the Institution of Safety and Health, to help me and assist me by going to branches and meeting ex-service folks that had, had already gone through it. 
And, you know, I think this would be a great thing for me personally. I'm really going to do a lot of research on this, so I want to reach out to you on LinkedIn, John. Um, Absolutely. I can't, I, can't, I can't find you, Ed. Um, so, basically, thinking about people leaving the armed forces and having it sort of, not seeing a role reversal. Do you know where I'm coming from, Ed? Does this, are you... Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I work with a number of, of groups that help people in transition. I mean, one of the toughest transitions is from the military to civilian world. You and civilians, they transition all the time. Mm. But military, one captain I work with, he was the mayor of a town, a full town as a young captain. He's got to come back and his wife's asking for his laundry. You know, I mean, and, and he's got to find a job. And, you know, and, and so that transition period is really, really tough. And so yeah. this... The guys that I work with said it could really help them with that. Outstanding, John. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think also with that transition period, right, so it's, it's a matter of performance. And so um, it, you're coming from the military X number of years, however however many it's been, even if it's been, if it's been three, you, it's, you're comfortable with it, right? And now you're coming out of your comfort zone, as John's talking about. And so when you can work on your brain and prime your brain to be working at its best, to be thinking at its best, whether that's for a job interview or for you trying to figure out what your next move is going to be, um, what your purpose is in life, your new purpose and what you want to do, and then to be able to become an expert in that field, Again, it just helps to have that brain processing at its best so you can then perform at your best and you will feel and you're going to feel better. You're just mm -hmm. you know, going to feel better when you do that. So it's, it's usually important for transitioning either veterans or really anyone transitioning to a different field. Yeah, I mean, I'm being quite selfish here as well, Ed. You know, I'm thinking, I think I'm, I'm thinking that I'm retiring in uh, 27 months into something that's going to be more fulfilling, and I, I think I've found something, Sonny, that we maybe need to get into. But um, yeah. in terms of in terms of that fact as well, Ed, you know yourself that you know talking about the old um, the old Brian uh, chap on um, uh, Taken. Uh, I've got a certain set of skills. <laughs> Our veterans have a set of skills, don't they? Combine that set of skills with this I, awesome I training will find as well, you. And you turn, yeah, I will find you. And you turn something that's really, really a lot of anxiety of finding that second role to understanding exactly where you're going to be. That's a great shout, Ed. Thanks, John. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 think, I think you're right, Jimmy. I mean, the great thing about these shows is it allows us to network, okay? And we've got a bunch of questions coming in. But with networking, what you do is not only do you extend your neurons and connectivity and things and so on, but you find opportunities where something that's been forgotten about in the past or has not been raised can be used more effectively. And I'm actually thinking about the work that you're doing, Jimmy, with veterans and, and all that really important stuff. And I think what John's been doing and what Ed's been doing, I, there's some synergy here, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Ed... Um, you you do a lot of work in resilience uh, sort of stuff, and um, there are things that you could share with John and th with Jimmy as well, which would benefit a whole bunch of people out there uh, who I think are really very keen to get this sort of support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, covering some more of the chats coming in, and once again, apologies. Sorry, go ahead, Ed. Yeah, Sonny, on the chats, can you pull up Malcolm's uh, statement that he made at 240, please? Uh, 240, 240. It's that'd the fourth be... one from the bottom. Fourth one from the bottom. Okay, in the early 70s? This is great. Yes, I mean, uh, Malcolm, I think this is a great, a great comment uh, and a great piece because, you know, in the military, as in 
all parts of the world, we've always had technology, right? Maybe it's not digital technology, but we've always gone to the next level. We've always grown. We've all we've always innovated, and and technology is just a um, it, it's a part of life, right? And so we are just in an age right now that's very peculiar because we have this digital technology that definitely in the military it helps us. I mean, we have these precision guided bombs, we have night vision goggles, we have all these screens, uh, global positioning systems, we're not using the compass anymore. So all these things that really help us. Um, but the point that, that Malcolm makes there is that, hey, you know, whenever you, and it, it's the same thing John's talking about, is when you actually have to do things with your hands the hard way and you're not using technology, and so that's where really it comes to say specifically in the military is for leaders to be able to have the discipline to have that balance. Let's not have too much technology and let's not let's make sure we use enough of it to make sure we have the edge. Mm-hmm. But then you can take that forward to just the average individual that's in civilian life. And I still need to have that discipline. I'm not getting it externally from the military. I need to have it myself right, to be able right. to say, hey, I, I can't do have too much technology but I do need some of it because it's the modern age that I live in, but I need to strike a balance and I need to have that discipline myself to make sure I do that. And it's just hugely important to have a balanced life and also to develop your brain in in the proper manner to perform at the highest level, to kind of reach your, um, uh, your potential in whatever you're doing. Again, it's going to make you feel better. Mm. The the problem is that people don't know. Some people don't know what balance is. Right. Some people's perception of balance is sitting on a mobile phone doing emails till 11 in the night, okay? Because it has to be done, right? Has to be done. Whereas I used to be like that, but my views are different now because I know that my brain function slowed down tremendously the day after. I become fairly ineffective. My life will say I'm ineffective anyway, right? Go ahead, Ed. If I could just say something outside, it's like, look, hey, nobody's perfect. Right. Sometimes we're just going to be I'm going to be on my phone and I'm going to be on there for hours. It just happens. Right. But we, we just have to be able to critically think and look at ourselves and say, OK, yesterday I went way overboard. Right. I really got to back it off the next couple of days. It's, it's no different than our diet. Right. We have some pizza. We have some ice cream. We overeat one day. Hey, these next couple of days, let me just back off a little bit. And if you have some of the tools in your toolbox to know what to do, which, you know, John and Jimmy and you've talked about, you know, get outside, exercise, read a book, um, you know, use your, you know, go over to Scotland and, and get Jimmy's map, you know, and, and, use the map and kind of go old school on some things. You can kind of help reset. But I mean, it's just reality. We all fail and we're all going to overdo it sometimes. But it's just stepping back and knowing when we've overdone it. And ha- having the tools in our toolbox to try to correct that a little bit, but it's going to happen. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm thinking to myself a bit loud here now, and I'm thinking we have only touched the surface here. Okay, we've had a lot of discussions. We've gone here, there, and everywhere, and all those things. But if we were to, I mean, we're 52 minutes in. If we were to go away from this, and we would say, look. We're serious about this and we really do want to help and support in some way. Maybe some people don't know that they need the help and support. What can we do? How can we do it in such a way that it is not only simple, but effective? John, you've done this a lot. What's your thoughts? Yeah, so actually I was thinking this and I'd like to leave your listeners with something they can implement like right away that will show the power of neuroplasticity. It's not my training, but when I speak at conferences often, I speak on hack your habits, and it's a great way 
to change the things in life. We talk about, you know, we get in these habits on, online and everything. So, uh, and also you guys are talking about getting up at five o'clock in the morning, right? That's a great way to start your day. You get up at five o'clock and then the rest of the day goes better. How do you get up at five o'clock in the morning? So really quick, I'll tell you how your listeners, how they can create a habit. When I speak, everybody says this is a problem. I don't know about your audience, but basically getting out of bed in the morning on time. Right. Typically what happens is the alarm goes off, you hit snooze button. Alarm goes off, it's snooze button. Five or six times later, you, you, you jump out of bed and you race and maybe you forget something, but you're out in a hurry. Now, what we know about neuroplasticity is you may want to get out of bed on time, but the zombie system you're creating is the snooze button alarm zombie system, right? It's not the get out of bed alarm system. So whenever you want to start, change your life or do anything, you want to write it down. We call that whole stuff on that but defining it so what you want to do is you want to define the five steps that you want to do when you get out of bed right so you write them down right so one get out of bed two turn off the alarm three make your bed and admiral Raven, if you've read his book you know the best thing you can do in your life is to make your bed first thing mm -hmm. start come to accomplish something right get you off there the rest of the day to good start then you walk towards the bathroom or the closet, wherever you're going, then you turn around and you look at your made bed. Now it feels great, okay? Five steps, okay? Get back in bed now and set your alarm for two minutes. Get as comfortable as you can, mentally go through that process. When the alarm goes off, you consciously do what you just said you're gonna do, right? You get up, get up your arm, make the bed, start to walk, turn around, feel good about what you just did. Mm. Okay, get back in bed again. Set your alarm for two minutes. So after a few times, you're going to start to anticipate the alarm going off. The conscious process you want to follow is now unconscious. It's your zombie system. And you're going to be totally relaxed. And so now when that, you do that to that point, and then after five, six times, maybe at the most, seven times, when the alarm goes off five o'clock in the morning on Monday, that's what you're going to do, right? So it doesn't take months or weeks to change a habit. By understanding neuroplasticity, if we do an intense conscious process till it becomes unconscious, we can change a habit in 20 minutes. And then you can apply that to other habits in your life that you want to change as well. There's, there's one fly in the ointment here. Okay. Some, some people love their beds. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you have to want to get up. That's true. You have to want to get up, right? And I, li I like the Pavlov dog type approach, you know, and then you're retraining the brain. I, I love it. Um, but there is, there is this thing in human beings, which is this resistance. You know, it's like the Star Trek. Resistance is futile, okay? There is this thing called resistance. And how do people overcome that? At what point do they say enough is enough? I'm not having this shit anymore, right? I'm going to change my life, okay? How does that happen? You, you got to want it, right? And that's why, like I was talking about that before, you guys are in the military, you know that, right? You don't have a choice whether you get out of bed. You're told to get out of bed. You get out of bed, or there's serious consequences. That's how you develop that discipline. I mean, that discipline is key to happiness in our whole life, right? And so you have to want it, and then you have to find hard things to do. So maybe it's getting out of bed at the time. Maybe mm -hmm. it's whatever it is, not having a don't, whatever it is that's hard. If you start stretching your comfort zone, that becomes a habit, right? Like you're talking about 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to say, Darren Sutton, who's watching the show, I did uh, an interview with Darren, and he calls that imagery, right? Imagine what it is like winning the race. And Ed knows this as well because he's done all these mountain climbing stuff. Imagine what it is to be at the precipice. Imagine what it is like. And then you are more driven towards getting that. So are you talking about imagery here then, John? Well, it's more about imagery. It's about will, right? Will and self-discipline. So my client, Trevor Harris, the quarterback in the CFL, he has a motto that every day he tries to do one more of something. One more push-up, one more dollar to the homeless guy, one more minute with his kid. Whatever it is, when that one more becomes your zombie system, then your whole life can expand, right? So you can start very small, and imagery is part of it, right? Imagine where it's going to be, what you want to do, but you have to be disciplined in order to follow that. And the cool thing is, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Wow. Jimmy, Ed, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, just something, something on that with 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 the discipline, and I I believe in discipline wholeheartedly. And as as John talked about, you know, you have the external discipline from the military, but you know, military people also have this internal discipline, this internal drive that um, really guided them towards the military because that's what they like. Uh, and then you also have just high performing people who have this internal drive. But I, I would also talk about the the mental performance of you know having your brain firing on all cylinders kind of like what i talked about before where you found your purpose you've you've you're operating on you're firing on all cylinders uh everything's going well and so in the morning you don't necessarily have to have discipline to get out of bed you want to get out of bed because you're jumping up because again you've been training your brain you're you're probably in the field that you should be in you're operating really well in it now your relationships your personal relationships are well your work relationships are well you're like I want to get out of bed. Mm. And so, yes, you have to have a certain amount of discipline. In my mind, it's usually on the back end at night, like put my phone down, you know, get off the internet, you know, get off the computer uh, and just go to bed. Right. And, um, but uh, so that way I can get up early in the morning and still get my, you know, eight or nine hours of sleep or whatever it is. Mm. But, but I think it, it's, it's, you know, really having your brain firing on all cylinders. So you're doing something that excites you where maybe you're using less discipline and maybe it's more energy and you're energized to want to get up in the morning. And the more you repeat that, the easier it becomes, right? That's, that's yes, yeah. Yep. yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. I've just got to concur with exactly. It's got a spot on there and John as well that, you know, sometimes like John had said, it doesn't go your way all the time. And sometimes you have to reset and that's always my reset. You know, there'll be times, you know, I might, during the lockdown, I would be lying in my bed till half six, seven o'clock, and I just didn't know where I was. And then when I just reset again and did the things that I do, I get up, 10 to 5, straight into the bathroom, um, splash my face with cold water, turn the cold shower on, get in, turn the coffee on downstairs, and you just feel... So Ed's exactly right. He said, you know, you're not going to do it the right way all the time. Mm. But what a great process of thinking that we used to do five small little things you reset yourself straight away. Awesome. Mm. And we right. do it. You don't realize you're doing it, do we? Mm. No. Auto, 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 auto. You're right. You can't beat yourself up, right? Make a mistake. Mm. You can't reset. Mm. One of the components of our program that's so important is you don't stop for mistakes, mm. right? It's okay to make mistakes. They'll correct, right? Exactly. That reset is so important. Yeah. Do you know, time has really flashed past it. I'm going to do a couple of things. I'm going to catch up on some of the chats. 
And then we're going to have some just closing thoughts on this. I mean, I could go on for another couple of hours here, but let's just catch up <laughs> on something. Uh, Tony, thank you. Tony says, walk the talk, knowing your people and your patch. Uh, Mal says, when I run my hashtag veteran show, I would like you three guys along for the next episode. Sure. Transition for hashtag veterans into Civvy Street, Red Risk. So I think that's an incredible, incredible opportunity. We're going to, we're going to uh, reach uh, some areas very positively. Uh, Mal says repetition of movement. I practice. I practice makes perfect muscle memory. SG joined the military. Too old, Mal. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's how you change attitude. Absolutely. Mark Montague says some twelve rules for life in this. I hope he's not referring to Jordan. Is it Jordan Peterson's. I'm not sure. Uh, Darren says Ed got it spot on with purpose. That's a driver for performance. Absolutely. Ed, you should really try and connect with uh, Darren if you can. He's into performance psychology and sports and so on and darren if you can connect with ed ed is on linkedin um uh, i couldn't find him sorry i couldn't find you ed yeah he's 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 an elusive character our ed thomas you can find me scott geller practice does not make perfect and get in fact scott's been quite educational for me uh, throughout this journey in fact scott calls it as was it practice makes permanence uh so that's that's a good one for me and i thank you scott jeanette says that reminds me of whoop technique which is a wish outcome obstacle and plan please forgive me guys i'm just catching up on some of the chats yeah. uh miles says scott go to the feedback last repetition a better manner fail to prepare prepare to fail um tim says scott geller it makes permanent just hope the practice itself is of sufficient caliber to close the gap. So we caught up on all the uh, chats, and it's been a very, very, very long. I, did, I just, I just want to say something really quick, um, especially because Jimmy's on here. So it's not that practice makes perfect; it's perfect practice makes perfect. As my daughter's soccer college, uh, coach from Scotland. <laughs> all <laughs> day in practice, right? So I thought yeah. Jimmy thought of that, right? It's perfect practice that makes perfect. I That's like that one, John. A couple of crackers tonight. Absolutely. So, some closing thoughts. Let's start with Jimmy. Jimmy, your closing thoughts on this? Has it? Has it? Have you taken the red pill? And uh, you missed that bit, Ed. I played a bit of the Matrix at the front. Did you take the red pill there, Jimmy? Did it take you down the rabbit hole? Yeah, I've taken a, I've taken the red pill with a, a twenty-five-year-old single malt. Um, <laughs> you know, it's fantastic. It did two of the greatest things in life. So, yeah, I'm taking the red pill. Uh, um, <laughs> I can't wait to start learning about this, uh, John. So I'll be in touch. Yeah, awesome. Good. Good. Brilliant. Ed? Yeah, I just think this is a hugely important um, a topic, uh, you know, kind of uh, just specifically with what we've got going on with Afghanistan. You have a lot of different veterans from mm -hmm. across the coalition that have been over there that, you know, are kind of wondering, hey, has, has, what, has my service mattered? And just other mental health issues with COVID and, and lockdowns and everything. And it's just important, you know, physical and mental health, you have to be able to take care of, of yourself and, um, and just, you have to get away from technology for a time, right? You have to get away from technology for a time, but also, to, to be that example and to be that leader, like we're, we're all old enough to remember like, hey, just what'd you do as a kid, right? But kids these days don't have that. So be that leader, do be able to fix ourselves and know how to manage it ourselves so we can then pass that on to our kids. So that way they know and they have the tools in the toolbox, how to operate, you know, uh, optimally, mentally. And, um, and we just kind of owe that to ourselves and our families and as leaders. 
yeah, create some stimulus with the uh, with the brain. So, John, let's just close out with some thoughts from you. Um, yeah, leave, leave it in a way where we leave the door open. You know, we're pushing on an open door so that we can get some more thoughts from you and maybe get you involved in some other things as well. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, the, the first thing I do, I'm thinking, is I really want to work on, on my analog map reading skills. So when I come visit you, Jimmy, we'll have to find a way to the distilleries, right? The single marsters. <laughs> so I'll be rewarded at the end of the trip. Anyway, no, I, I, yeah, there you go. So, so I, what I want to leave people with, and obviously it's opened up for more because it's kind of universal we're talking about, right? We all want to improve ourselves, whether we want to be a better pitcher, we want to be a better parent, salesperson, doesn't matter. If we understand that, if we can define and then repeat what we want to happen, um, it makes a big difference in our life. And then, which is basically what my program does, just at a very you know tight uh, processor level. Mm. But um, but this has been fascinating. I love the questions. You guys are great. Um, I'm happy to have people reach out to me at any time. Is what I love to do. I'm happy to talk to people. Um, talk to you guys again. Let's do this again. If you have more questions, do it again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're going to be back uh, doing more of these. Um, for me, I'm having a couple of months break. Um, you won't see me on live events for a while. <laughs> Jimmy looks up there with shock. Um, yes, my brain is cooked for a while. I need to do some combat brain training. Uh, but I'm very, very pleased to announce that the stream team are going to take over a lot of the shows. Uh, next week, Natalie is going to be talking to Trudy Tra Taylor about human factors and organizations and that's going to start her own show jorge has started his own show for mexico and south america so i'm very very proud and honored to say that a lot of my good friends have now created their own shows under this sort of diversity and inclusion banner we've got going on so just remains for me to say please don't make technology rule your life make it your slave um i've learned the hard way doing these that it's very very easy to get absorbed and lost in the minutia of things um, and cooking your brain intensely. Other than that, I don't need to do pep talks. You know what I'm talking about. I just like to say, Jimmy, thank you so much for being on the thank show you, today. Sonny. And Ed, love you, man. Always, you know, don't do yeah. too many runs because you always show me up, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you and with a very fascinating subject. Thank you so much from my heart. Thanks, John. Thanks, Ed. And, um, yeah, catch yeah, you all on the tail end. Folks, have a great care, evening and uh, speak to you all soon. Thank you. And thank you for all the comments. Yeah, thanks. Wonderful to meet you all. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for stopping by and watching that live event. If you want to be notified of future live events, head over to our website. There's a form on there. Hit the subscribe button and I'll update you whenever live events come up. I promise you, no spam. And finally, we do have a YouTube channel. It's just simply Red Risks. Please subscribe and help us. Let's connect, share and learn. Thanks.